You know, to, to be transparent, uh, I, one of the things I love, I love communicating every week. I love the opportunity to be able to stand in front of a group of people and talk about uh, what I see as one of the greatest things to ever happen in my life, and that's ultimately coming to just a firm foundational belief, not only in a God, uh, but a benevolent God, and a God that's so benevolent that uh, he was working to reconcile our biggest problem, and that's our separation between us and him, and that ultimately he does have life, that if we're willing to, to, to lean into obeying Jesus, to following Jesus, that it actually will make our life better and make us better at life, in this life and in the life to come. Uh, but one of the things that you need to know is every week as I prepare for the weekend, I, I realize that everything that I'm talking about, I am, I'm speaking to myself, that we are in this together. It isn't that I've just got it all figured out or somehow I'm better than you or holier than you or more, more religious than you because none of that's true. Just ask my wife and ask my kids. They will tell you the truth because they, they live with the real Chad all through the week. Uh, but for me, the excitement is that of sensing there is a sense of direction that can lead us to a better place, the place that we ultimately want to be in our life and in our relationships. So as we talk about today, it just it hits home. Because over the last, uh, you know, last year, I celebrated 52 years as a human being on this planet. And I guess I thought that as I got older, that I would move past this inclination that we all seem to have. And it's this inclination to look to my left and look to my right and look at everybody else to ultimately uh, figure out uh, what are they doing and what, the, what do they have and how do they look and what are they accomplishing and how successful they are. And I end up comparing myself. I end up comparing myself and measuring myself to determine how well am I doing, how well I'm doing based on what everyone else is doing and how everyone else looks and uh, what they're doing, what they look like, the level of success in their family or in their career or their vocation, whatever it is. Uh, and, to, and even though we know intellectually how unhelpful and unhealthy that this is, it's something that all of us deal with. And it began for me where I think it began for most, most of you, and that's in school. Uh, for me, it really began, you know, back in the day, we called it junior high. I know we call it middle school. And uh, some of you are old enough, uh, not all of you, but some of you are old enough to remember when Jordash jeans first came out. And when they first came out, like they were like $120 to $160 in today's dollars. And everyone in school had a pair. So I felt like if only I had a pair, then I would be cool. I would be an insider. I would feel like less of an outsider. So I begged my mom to get me a pair of these. I guilted and shamed and did whatever I did, bribed, and she finally got me a pair of Jordache jeans. And I remember strutting down the school hallways, uh, and I wore the threads out of that one pair of Jordache jeans. And this helped me feel okay about myself for like a few days. But it wasn't long before about a hundred other things made me feel less than. I just felt less than. And there's something in each of us. There's just something in each of us that we're always looking to our left and we look to our right to try and figure out, how am I doing? Am I acceptable? Am I measuring up? But the problem is, this never satisfies. And we all end up with, what we all end up wanting is a bigger-er. 
We want a bigger er to add to all the adjectives that describe us. Now, the name of this message is the land of er, and this is the land that we all live in, meaning we all want to be rich er, skinny er, smart er, tall er, prettier, happier, talented er, right? I just want to be fit er, stronger, funnier, and even, even if you like someone, even if they're a friend, you would like to go away from your time with them, maybe lunch or coffee, and go home or see some of your friends or people on social media and feel deep down, okay, I have a little more er than them because I have, if I have more er than you, then somehow I feel better about me. And that's just human nature. And as we grow up, we start dating, and you want your boyfriend or your girlfriend to have some er, okay? I want him to be rich er, her to be skinny er, him to be handsome er, and the more romantic er. And then you get married and you give lots of er to your spouse. But the problem is we're lying to ourselves. And so I'm hoping, if nothing else, over the next three weeks at what we've, uh, with what we've got also coming up with the Enneagram workshop, if you don't know what I'm talking about, please talk to me about after service. We've got that next Saturday. But my hope is that if we don't do anything else, that we'll come out the other side of this and quit lying to ourselves. Because we, we tell ourselves, well, I, I just want my husband or my wife to be the best version of themselves, okay? But the truth is, we, we want them to be er, especially when we look around at other women's husbands or other men's wives, and we start erring them like, you know, honey, you need a little more er here, a little less er there, and, and then we say some of the worst words any spouse could ever hear. Why can't you be more like and then fill in the blank with somebody's name. And we name someone else, in this, or we may not say it, but they get it through the subtle messages, and this can just be so toxic. And it's not even about, about them. It's about us. It's about you. And then you have kids, and you see how quickly other people's kids are developing or advancing, and where everybody else's kids are going to school, and suddenly, you know, they're saying their alphabet by the time they're six months old, and they're walking by nine months, and, you know, or you look at what other kids are reading, and they skip the grade, or they're playing up in sports, and then you be begin comparing and erring and erring your kids. And again, it's just like, you know, well, I just want my kids to reach their full potential. No. You're comparing your kids to other people's kids. And more accurately, you're comparing yourself and your parenting skills and your parenting success to the success or the perceived success of other parents. And you'd never admit this, but there's sometimes a tinge of satisfaction when your friend's kids don't quite measure up, right? It's like you kind of love it when they mess up or they stay a few steps behind your kids or your grandkids or they get in trouble or they don't get that scholarship or they don't get into that school or their son's a little slower or the daughter's a little shorter or they're a little poorer or he's a little nerdier and you start to feel superior-er and it's like I guess they're not so perfect and they're not so good and you can say that and you can't say that because you know you're a Christian you go oh no I mean I'm just so sorry but inside you're kind of happy it's like where is that come from? Like, that's just so evil. And also, there's this thing in us where you run into certain people that you maybe haven't seen for a while, or suddenly they post some new pictures on social media, and you notice they've got some er suddenly, maybe especially through COVID, and the last time you saw them, they've gotten a little thicker, a little heavier, a little grayer, a little wrinklier, and you're kind of happy about it. So you look to the left, and people are, are, are better. You look to the right, that people aren't so good, but either way, it's just just ugly. And you, you know this doesn't take you anywhere good. 
Because there's no win in that. There's no win, but there we are, and it's just kind of how we go. And then there's another group of us, because of our temperament or our personality or our Enneagram number, we're not happy with er. We want est, okay? I don't want to be richer. I want to be rich est. I want to be smart est, happiest, healthiest. I want to be successful est. I want to be most like est, most followers est. I want to just be in a category all by myself. So when people compare themselves to me, it's like, wow. Like, you're doing awesome. Now, as we're going to see, there is a place. There is a place where a level of that can be good. But for most of us, there's this thread of thing in you, because I know it's in me, where I'm constantly measuring myself by the people around me to determine how well am I doing, and can I feel content? Can I feel peace about myself and my life? Now, maybe you're on the other side of this. Maybe you're, you're the person, you look in the mirror, and, and, and you just kind of hate you. You just don't like you. And the reason is, it's like, you know, I will never be as fill in the blank as them. I'm just never going to be that skinny, or I'm going to never be in that kind of shape. I'm just never going to be that happy. I, I, I may never be happily married, or I may, may never be that happily married, never have that kind of career or success or financial success or financial margin. You may never look like that, you may never drive like that or live like that, and your kids probably aren't going to ever go to those kinds of schools, and you end up looking in the mirror or when left alone in your thoughts, and you compare, and you just don't like you. And if, you, if that's you, if you get nothing else out of what we're going to talk about in our time together, that when you begin looking or begin scrolling to determine how am I doing and how am I doing compared to them if this one thought could just lodge into your heart and into your mind? It's this, that there is no win in comparison, none. And if you could grasp this, it could begin to break you free, break you free from this mental and relational prison because there is no finish line. There is no final sense of satisfaction. Whether you're better than others or not, there's no win. In fact, it's dangerous. So some of you... If you're honest, and I promise I'm not trying to shame or judge anyone, I'm just stating something that it's something that can often be true, that but there may be some of you that you got into financial debt because of this thing, that maybe you've purchased things, or you're driving things, or you're living in or wearing things, you've eaten things, you've vacationed certain ways, you purchased wedding rings, or having a wedding ceremony, or a honeymoon that you're still paying for. You've bought or spent or went into debt for things, and the core reason for that is because you saw what other people were doing and having and experiencing, and you felt left out, so now you have debt because this is so dangerous. And maybe as some of you, you're driving your spouse crazy, maybe your kids, because you keep pushing them and pushing them, and ultimately, again, it's really not so much about you, about, about what your spouse, what you're trying to get them to be or not be, or your kids to be or not be, it's really about you. And again, this is dangerous. Some of you, you may have relatives that you compare yourself to, and you feel less than. There may be relatives that honestly, you have a hard time just being around them, and you don't get along with or interact much because deep down, you're jealous. Because you're never going to look like that. You're never going to drive that. You'll never live the way that they live, and you're just, you feel like you're just never going to be that happy. 
Maybe your marriage, like in comparison, you compare, you feel like it's not going as well. Or my first marriage didn't go well, and they're still in their first marriage, and they're doing great. And after a while, you, you find yourself rejoicing when they have little small failures or hiccups in their relationship, and you know it's evil and embarrassing, but there's just this thing, and it's not casual. It's dangerous. And you know how far it can go? I've personally had the front row seat to watch relationships be destroyed. I have firsthand seen people go so far as to hurt and sabotage the success of others in family and in career because of jealousy. We all have the potential to hurt people or allow people to be hurt because of our tendency to compare where we are and where we aren't to the people around us. In fact, when the Jewish leaders handed Jesus over to Pilate, Two of the gospel writers tell us that Pilate understood the reason that they are handing Jesus over to me is because they are jealous and filled with envy. He had the love and the awe of the crowd. They wanted the love and the awe of the crowd. And this envy and this jealousy and this comparison thing, it is just so insidious. It drove these men to actually hand over an innocent person to be crucified. The wisest man who ever lived, other than Jesus, Solomon, he said that, that envy ultimately rots the bones, that there's no win in comparison. So here's the question that we're going to wrestle with just the next few weeks. What do we do? What do we do about it? I mean, you don't like it, but your mind just goes there. How do we focus on a healthy drive to grow and succeed and improve in life and relationships without slipping into this comparison trap where there's just no win and I'm just constantly frustrated? I'm frustrated with myself and I'm frustrated with life. So to help us with our habit of comparing ourselves to others today, we're going to look briefly at something Solomon said in the Old Testament, and then the next two weeks we're going to look in the New Testament. But today we're going to look in the book of Ecclesiastes. And some of you may not know this, but there are people that are part of our community that they're, they're still skeptical about God and about Jesus and about the Bible. And that, that was one of a big part of our goal is to connect people that are spiritually curious, curious and interested. So if you fall in that category, you need to know Ecclesiastes is a great place to start. You can download the YouVersion Bible app and read Ecclesiastes. It's a short book. And here's what's going to happen. You'll read it and you go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Wow. That's right. That's, that's right on. Ecclesiastes is safe. There's no miracles. It's before Jesus, so it's a great place to start if you're a skeptic. It's just provided, it just is filled with wisdom and incredible insight. And Solomon, who did more than you and I will ever do combined, uh, you know, your wife's pretty, his, pretty, his wives were prettier than, than your wife. Uh, whatever you think you're going to do or, do or accomplish, you're not going to keep up with Solomon. And as a guy, you may be good looking. You are not Solomon good looking. Okay, he created one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. He was the wealthiest person in his lifetime. Kings and queens came from all over to sit at his feet and ask for wisdom. And what Solomon wrote will sound like something written last week, not almost 3,000 years ago. And here's his assessment. And, And I saw that all toil. How much toil? All toil. I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. He says, I've been looking around, I'm a student of human behavior, and I've observed that for the most part, what drives people is competition. And again, based on your personality, your temperament, like, like you get that. Like there's just something about competition. Uh, we raised four sons, okay? Everything, 
was a competition. It didn't matter what it was, and I didn't help that. I fed into that. Like, we'd be traveling, and I'm one of those, the vacation doesn't start till you arrive, and so, like, stopping to eat was kind of annoying, so we would stop in and go in, and, and we would order, and I'd turn to them and say, okay, first one done eating gets $5, so I, I didn't help, okay? So, everything is a competition, and, and Solomon looks around. He says, like, when I look around at life and I study human behavior, this is the key driving factor that it's competition, that people are looking to the left and the right to figure out how am I doing based on what everybody else is doing, where they're shopping, what they're wearing, what they're driving, how much they're making, uh, where they're living. And their work and their effort and their toil is driven by what they see people around them doing. Now, again, this was 3,000 years ago. So hopefully you can be encouraged about your issues, okay? This is not new. This has been going on from the dawn of man. In fact, when you think about it, according to Jesus, as we look back, like the very first, as we look at the scriptures, like the very first death was related to, I don't like the competition, so I'm going to take him out. It's just hardwired into our human nature. Solomon observed that people determine where they are. Am I okay? Is my spouse okay? Are my kids okay? Everybody is determining if they're okay based on what everyone else is doing. It's just human nature. And this is his assessment. This is meaningless. It's meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. You go, well, you can't catch the wind. That's his point. There's no finish line. There's never any sense of satisfaction, never any tranquility. There's never any peace. Now, you might ask, okay, does this mean that we're not supposed to do our best? Are we not supposed to try? Are we just supposed to sit back and do nothing? No. In fact, his next statement is fools. Fools fold their hands, just lay back and just chill. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. So he's not saying don't be ambitious. It's like for crying out loud, I'm, I'm Solomon. Have you seen my temple? Have you seen my gardens? I'm a busy guy. I've been around. I got a lot going on. I got like 300 and some wives, 600 and some concubines. I got more gold than Fort Knox. So I'm not saying sit around and do nothing to not leverage your potential. Don't become the best that you can be. I'm not saying any of that. He would say only fools just chill and do nothing because eventually if you do nothing, he says you'll self-destruct. Okay, you'll hurt yourself. And then here's his way of kind of flushing out this whole idea that there's no win in comparison. He says, better is one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. And the imagery is so rich. He's saying it's better to just have one hand open with the implication that God can put and take out of it anything that he wants to, anything he chooses. Better to have tranquility and contentment with with what one hand can hold than to have two fists just clenched around everything you can get. Because he says, if you live like this, if you live like this, there will never be any peace. There will never be any tranquility. It's like chasing after the wind. Because no matter how much you can put into these two hands, there's going to be always something more that you want to try and grasp after. And there'll be more that you, than you can get. And as a result, you never have peace. You never have tranquility. Because there's more than you can get. And then you begin to grasp 
for more, but you can't, and then you can begin to descend into bitterness because everyone else seems to be getting what they want. Everybody else seems to be finding a mate, and you're not, and you try to grasp for more. Maybe it's that you begin to ignore or neglect or move your spouse or move your family to the side because to be able to move up, to uh, you have to go after another opportunity, and you see your peers, your peers advancing and moving up, and you feel the pressure to do more and do more and get ahead or stay ahead. Or you start to compare your daughter to somebody else's daughter, and you try to manipulate your son because you heard what somebody else's son is doing. And you begin to bring up that issue with your husband or with your wife again because you've seen what your friends' husbands or wives are doing, and there's just no peace. There's no tranquility in any of it. Better is one hand with tranquility. And isn't that what all of us want? I mean, can you imagine having your life described as tranquil, peaceful? I mean, it's like, is that even possible? That's what we all want. He says, let me tell you about yet another meaningless thing. Uh, There was a man all alone. And uh, he says, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. And Ecclesiastes, it kind of feels like Eeyore is writing this, right? It's like, welcome to my exciting message about meaningless things. Okay. He says, let me tell you about yet another meaningless thing I saw. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother, which meant in this culture and context, at whatever he had, he, there wasn't anybody that he could leave it to because you, can't, you couldn't leave stuff to women. You couldn't leave your stuff to wives or to daughters because in this culture, uh, you, couldn't, you couldn't leave it to women. And so he's got no one to leave his stuff to. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. And yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. So there's this guy I, I, I'm watching. He's a friend of mine. Or here's this category of people, and they, they just work and they work and they work. But no matter how much they get, it doesn't matter. They're never content. Like they finally get, but then there's that next thing they get, need to get. There's always something more to do. There's always another goal. There's always something else to do, something else to achieve, something else to accomplish or build, and they just work, and they work to obtain and acquire, but whatever they get, they're never content. And this person or this category of people, in the midst of all this, they finally stop and ask a very important question. And this is our question, especially in a driven 21st century American culture, to just hit the pause button and ask, for whom am I toiling? Why why am I doing all this? Why am I living like this? Why am I constantly looking left and right to figure out what they're doing? For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? Why is it that I can't just stop and enjoy what I've already worked to get and gotten? What's wrong with me? I've toiled to accumulate and to get all this stuff, and I'm not even really enjoying it. In fact, not long ago, I was having coffee with a guy right here in Wichita. He's, he's just wildly successful. He has a great job. He's paid very well. He's got buckets of money. He has like over eight weeks of paid time off built up. And yet in talking to him, the idea of actually taking time off to go get away and just spend some time with his wife, he, it causes him to feel stressed. And I'm looking, what's wrong with you? And, he, and he's like, I don't know, what's wrong with me? And he's, he's just like, what is this? And then, like Solomon's guy, he looks me in the eye and he asks me, he says, why am I doing this? Who am I really doing this for? 
What's driving me? And Solomon, he answers the question. It's just, it's human nature to somehow fear falling behind, to take our cue from the person to our left and to our right, and to be constantly, constantly comparing and competing. So Solomon says, he says it this way, this too is meaningless. In fact, I love the term he used. It's a miserable business. It's just miserable. You're trying to have two handfuls and then, and then you realize, I wish I had a third, or I wish I had a fourth. And his point is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many hands that you have, because how, what you accomplish or how much you have, it's just never going to be enough. It doesn't matter how smart your kids are, how cute your wife is, how handsome your husband is, how much money you have. It doesn't matter your GPA or what you get on your SAT. It doesn't matter how high up the corporate ladder that you climb. As long as your mindset is like this, Solomon would say, you're going to be miserable. It's a miserable business, and you will never be able to just enjoy your life. Why? Because there's no win in comparison. So the, so the question that I want to, uh, to leave us with is this one. Where are you looking? Where are you looking? Is it a sibling? Is it a peer? Is it a friend? Is it your mom or your dad? Is it family? Is it, is it dollars? Is it your boss? Is it the industry you're in? Is it how good your friend looks? Is it how well your kids do? Is it how well your husband or your wife does? Is it someone in your career field or the industry who does pretty much exactly what you do, but you look at them and it just seems so effortless for them and they're doing better than you and you, they don't put in half the work? What or who is your mirror? What or who are you looking to to try and feel like I'm okay? I can be at peace. I can be content. Because if, if you're looking to all those other people and things, you're never going to feel okay. Never. No matter what you achieve. No matter what your family member achieves. Uh, what your kids achieve. What he or she looks like. What you drive. How you live. Solomon says, listen, I had it all. I had it all. And I'm just telling you, I've been there. I've done that. It is chasing after the wind. But all of us, all of us are using something or someone as a mirror. All of us are looking somewhere to determine how are, how are we doing? How am I doing really? And the thing you've got to determine is what or who am I going to use as my reference point to tell me that I'm okay? that I'm doing all right. And no matter how old or how young or how great or how not great, there's something in all of us that is looking somewhere at something or someone to convince us that I'm okay, I'm right where I need to be, I'm doing exactly what I need to be doing, I don't need to do any more or any less, I'm fine. So next week we're going to dive right into the question, what or who should my mirror be? We're going to look somewhere. We're going to look somewhere. So what, where should I look? Uh, but before I let you out, and just to make sure that we're all on the same page, understanding that we all face this, 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 this reality, that the face that I do this, and I might even potentially be driving certain people, people close to me crazy in my life, and I might be taking my life in a direction that I might ultimately regret. Here are some questions. The first question is just this. Are, are, you, just, are you exhausted? 
Are you exhausted trying to keep up with fill in the blank? Maybe there's a person in in your life like during the week when you get to thinking and again, you're trying to think and, and there's that person you go to or it's that group of people. Are you just exhausted? Are you just tired? Is there something of you that you're just tired of this invisible thing where the finish line just seems like it just keeps moving? And you're never really at peace. You're never really tranquil. You're just frustrated. Second question, are you carrying debt? Do you have debt from trying to keep up with, and again, fill in the blank? Like, would you, if you really look at it, is this potentially part of your financial issue? I mean, you can blame it on the economy and COVID and you lost your job and everyone else has a car payment and everyone else needs at least 1,800 square feet in a nice neighborhood and everyone else spends this kind of money and everyone else spends this money they don't have. There's all this stuff, but maybe, maybe at the root, maybe behind all those financial problems before they surfaced, there was just something in you for just the sake of, I see these people around me, they're having this, they're accomplishing this, they're doing this, so I want to they have and they do and I want to have and do what they do and if you really dig in this has contributed to part of your financial problem and struggle are you allowing what others have and do to keep you from enjoying what you have and do as the great theologian Cheryl Crow sang back in 20 in 2002 is not having what you want is wanting what you've got are you allowing what others have to keep you, to keep you from enjoying what you've got because you've got eight, feet, eight, feet, eight foot ceilings, they've got 10 foot ceilings, and now you hate your house, okay? So like a year ago, uh, I helped my sister and her family move to, uh, from their home in Andover to a new home in Andover, and it's big, it's beautiful, it's a corner lot, there's big trees, there's a lake in the back, fenced in backyard, high ceilings, hardwood floors, see-through fireplace, windows everywhere, and it took everything in me to not go home and hate my house. Why? I mean, my house was just the same as when I went to go help her move, it's, but this can happen to all of us. And to be, continue to be embarrassingly honest with you, again, so that you know we're in this together, okay? Uh, as most of you know, uh, I, I led the way in us planting this church four years ago. Actually, the conversation began almost five years ago. And just so you know, planting a church is just a little bit crazy. Okay, when you do that, like, like people pay attention because uh, 80% of church plants fail. I think it's closer to 90. So like it, it involves calling, but it also involves entrepreneurial leadership and communication and vision casting and seeking to inspire people to be a part of something bigger than themselves. It's the hardest thing that I've ever done in my career, and the people who have worked with me would say it's the hardest thing that they've done. Uh, but this thing, if it goes unchecked in me, guess who draws my attention to gauge how I'm doing? Other pastors other leaders, especially other church planters, especially other church planters in Wichita. And I'm just telling you, if this goes unchecked, it can take me to some very dark places because there is no win in comparison. You have to be who God has called you to be, to run your race in your lane, And if you're allowing what others have and do to keep you from enjoying what you have, 
If so, that's chasing after the wind. Because even if you got what they have, guess what? There's somebody else out there with a bigger-er. And then there's somebody out there with an est. So are you allowing what others have to keep you from enjoying what God has allowed you to manage and own and enjoy in this life? Are you allowing what you don't have, what you don't have to keep you from enjoying what you do have? And then how about this one? Do you enjoy your kids? For those of you with kids, do you enjoy your kids or are you driving them crazy because of what everyone else's kids are accomplishing? Do you enjoy your kids? Or are you just pushing and pushing because you're just so aware of what they could do and what other kids their age are doing? And there's this other stuff out there and there's this program and this sport and this school and this scholarship. And did you hear about so-and-so? And he's, gonna, he's doing such and such. I mean, can you just take a deep breath and just enjoy your children? Just enjoy them. Because do you know that there are other couples who would love to have your son or have your daughter, and they can't. In fact, some, they can't even have kids. Your issue isn't their fashion or their hairstyle choices. It isn't their school scores or their SAT scores or which school they go to or how impressive they are. The issue is they're your children. Can you enjoy them? Or are you going to drive them crazy because of what somebody might think about you as a parent? And some of you, you know how toxic this is because that's the kind of family you grew up in. And you go, well, I, I know they love me, but I loved me, but did you feel it? No. It just felt like it was always about performance. And what you need to know is that then can unfortunately be the inclination for how you parent. Is it possible that your husband or your wife feels like that you're just dissatisfied with them? dissatisfied with him or her because of your propensity to compare them to another woman's husband or another man's wife. And now you might not say, you know, honey, so-and-so, you know, you don't do that because you've already tried that and you figured out it didn't work. You're like, your husband then go, you're right. He makes more money. I should make more money. Or, you know, hey, babe, you notice, I noticed Josh's wife lost some weight. So maybe you like enjoy the couch, okay, or sleeping in the yard. But if in your mind you are consistently playing these tapes, I wish he had, or I wish he looked like, I wish he had a job like, I wish he looked like or acted more like. If, if it's just constant, then every time you look at him, every time you look at her, it's comparison. Even though you may never say it directly, they'll get the message. It'll come out in other ways. And when it does, you need to realize what you're doing. You're undermining what you, at what point, in your one point in your life said was the most important thing and the most important person in the world to you, which is your marriage and your spouse. Do you see how dangerous this is? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing to get to a place where you and I could live with one handful with tranquility instead of constantly being a slave to the drive for er or for est? Last question. And you're going to hate this question. Who would you secretly enjoy seeing fail? Who would you secretly enjoy seeing fail? I mean, this is, isn't this just one of the ugliest parts of the human spirit? I mean, is, isn't it the ugliest part of you? I know it's the ugliest part of me. When, when there's that one person, it's that, that one person, 
And you hear something bad happens. Maybe it's big, maybe it's just little. And of course, on the phone or text, it's like, oh, that's just too bad or that's terrible. But inside, there's that like itty-bitty part of you just like feels good about it. It's like finally, finally they've been brought down a notch to the rest of where the rest of us normal people live. Finally. Who would you secretly find just a tinge of player a tinge of pleasure of seeing that wrinkle-free, seemingly amazing life they have just experience a bump. And you hear there's a bump in their relationship, a bump with one of their kids or their career or their finances, and there's just something in you that would feel a little sense of relief, a little sense of pleasure or joy. It's just ugly. Imagine, imagine if it wasn't, imagine if that just went away. And instead, that I could just rejoice with people when things go well, and I could authentically mourn with people when things don't go well. And you and I will never get there by looking to our left and right and comparing. There's just no win in comparison. So, actual last question, are you chasing after the win? And here's the thing, and then we'll be done. You, you, cannot, you cannot genuinely love others while hating yourself. And you cannot genuinely love others while secretly comparing. And you cannot genuinely love someone that you secretly hope will fail. You can't genuinely love someone that you're pushing to perform better because you want to feel better about you, which means you can't really be a sincere follower of Jesus Christ and chase after the wind. And this, just, this isn't just a mental issue. And this isn't even just a relational issue. This is a spiritual issue. If you're a Christian, this is a profoundly spiritual issue that affects every other aspect of your life and your relationship with God and the people around you. So together, my hope is that we can move towards stopping this in us and that we would go from this to this, to live with one hand open, with peace and tranquility, so starting today in the next few weeks, we're going to begin to stop chasing the wind because there's no win in comparison. So we're going to pick it up there next week. So please don't miss or be late. Uh, let me pray for us. Father, it's so much easier to say than do. And God, I pray for every single one of us. Even as I was talking, I know for all of us that there's that someone that comes to mind that we feel like we've always been competing against and they may not even know. God, I pray that you would help us to let that go. I pray that you would truly help free us from that. I pray, God, that we would just release this impulse to look left and right to determine how we're doing. God, I pray for our generation, especially the next generation coming up, that is just growing up with social media and the images and the stories and the videos that just tap right into this deep, deep insecurity and fear. And Father, I pray that as a community that you would help us to get this right, that you would cause us to lead the way into turning our attention to the thing that we should turn our attention to, to figure out if I'm okay. I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen.